me say this to the college students here, particularly the American Africans. Everybody in here who looks like me, I don't care if you come from Kenya, Ethiopia, Brooklyn, Texas, Brazil, Puerto Rico, UK, Toronto, I don't care where you come from, you're going to have to make three decisions before you graduate. I had to make them. Number one, are you going to use the education you got at Lehigh University to fight for your people's independence and liberation? Or are you going to use it to be another gatekeeping sellout? Every one of you got to make that decision. You can't be on the fence. You're either going to be an advocate for African independence or you're going to be an advocate for white power. There's no way around it. That's number one. Number two, are you going to dedicate your life to a man or woman who looks like you? Or are you going to perpetuate your sleep and number three, number three, you're going to have to decide if you're going to put your race first above everything else you belong to. The biggest problem for African people in the 21st century, our religions are still more important than our race. You are the only people whose religion is more important than your race. Oh, yeah. Asians belong to all kinds of religions. There's Muslim, Chinese, and Korean Jehovah Witnesses, but guess what? They fight. Koreans got issues with Japanese, and Japanese got issues with Chinese, and Chinese got issues with the Vietnamese, and the Vietnamese got issues with the Cambodians. I know! But guess what? When it comes to the collective benefit of the Asian people, they can put a time out to that. Long enough to handle the business of the race. Arabs don't all get along. And they belong to all religions too. That's right. And Iraqis got issues with Kuwaitis, and they got issues with Afghanis, and they got issues too. But that Arab League, when it's time to look out for the best interests of what is right for Arab people, they will put it into all the petty tribal differences and work together. White folks don't all get along. Oh, no, no, no. I know, I work with them. I hear the Irish say something slick about a European Jew, and I hear the Jews say something slick about the Italian. The Italians say something slick about the Spaniard, and so forth and so on. They got issues, but guess what? When it comes time to keep in a place, they will put a time out to the petty interracial fight long enough to deal with the extra-racial fight. The only people who will keep on fighting, even when your existence is being threatened, is black folks. We do not know how to stop the petty tribal beasts long enough to look out for the best interests of black folks. And the biggest tribe in the black community is religion. There's nothing worse than to raise a black child to believe that if that other black person don't worship God the way you do, you should not be bothered with them. It's the worst thing you can teach a black child. How do you teach a little black boy? Like I was taught in North Philadelphia, if they're not Muslim, they don't, they, I wasn't taught that they didn't count but they were not as important as people who was Muslim. And I said, wait a minute, as a young kid growing up, he don't know what it is to be black. He's a Muslim, he prays with me in the masjid, but he's from Afghanistan or Kuwait, or he's a white Muslim, but these brothers over here, they're not Muslims, but these are my friends and they go through what I go through. But in religion, we're taught to turn our backs on our own people and align with other folks because they believe in the same book we believe in. Black people have never been free as long as we worship their religion instead of religion. I want to bring this to a close to say this. My issues with my critical race theory brothers and sisters, even though I support them and they are right, here's the issue. If you want to teach critical race theory, why aren't you teaching it 
Why are you waiting for the United States Department of Education to approve it? Why are you waiting for Lehigh University or Harvard or Yale or Princeton or UPenn to approve critical race theory? If I were to teach black children that had it not been for you, America wouldn't exist, I can teach that in any black church. I can teach that in any black community center. I can teach that whenever I feel like it. So what is your point, Dr. Umar? My point is, I believe many of these critical race theorists are nothing but economic, academic hustlers. This is just another scheme to get approved by the government so we can write some books and make some millions of dollars and write some curriculums and make some millions of dollars and do some workshops and make some millions of dollars because everybody knows academics is a multi-billion dollar business. How many of you critical race theorists are in the black community fighting police genocide? How many of you critical race theorists are in the school district board meetings fighting against the over-identification of black boys for emotionally disturbed and reading disabled and math disabled and ADHD and conduct disorder and ODD? How many of you are fighting the mental health establishment that's doping our kids up on Ritalin and Adderall and Concerta and Medicaid and Prozac and Paxil? Nobody. So you're just a bourgeoisie academician. And as far as I'm concerned, critical race theory is a distraction from the real issues that black people face. Like when are we gonna build our own schools for our own children? And when are we gonna build our own hospitals for our own elders? And when are we gonna build some truly black banks so we can finance black people? White folks, I want you to understand this. Every black student in the years has an idea that can make them wealthy. The difference between them and you is you're more likely to get the loan approved from the bank than they would. And 50 years from now, when you're living in Beverly Hills somewhere, and they're living in a ghetto somewhere, working two or three jobs to feed their family, you might look down on them and say, we started at the same place. And what I need white folks to understand is we might start at the same place, but we are not allowed to run at the same pace. <laughs> and that's the difference between being black and being white in America. I have six degrees. I'm smarter than any white kid who ever sat next to me in class. <laughs> but guess what? They got the opportunities and I didn't. Not because of my opinions, because I kept them to myself. And then black students, I'm gonna tell you right now, don't let universities know what you really believe. Keep it to yourself. I don't need you to be Malcolm X at Lehigh. I need you to get your damn degree. Okay? I'm serious. When I got interviewed, when I went to college, I put my suit on, the tightest one I could find. And I walked in here and said, yes, I'm going to study clinical psychology. I said, I love your department. <laughs> <laughs> and one day, a black professor snitched on me. It's always one of us. <laughs> psychology department and she said, do you know who he is? <laughs> and they start pulling up videos and articles and everything else. And they wanted to separate me from the program because of my books. And I had to put my civil rights hat and said, listen, I spend too much time and too much money here. I'm entitled like everybody else in the business. You ain't got to agree with me, I ain't got to agree with you. But if you don't let me <laughs> but no, I got good education. I got good education from Lehigh. I got good education from Millersville. I got good education from Pecan. Some professors took issue with my politics. I don't care because I wasn't there for my politics. I was there to learn. 
so I can go back and serve my own, then you all are going to have to do the same thing. So as I close, I want to give you three pointers. Number one, focus on your academics. Don't get so caught up, and this is for everybody in here. I don't care what color you are. The purpose of going to college is to get out. Don't get here and get so caught up in Greek life, or caught up in university life, or caught up in your student organizations that you don't finish. Four years, not six, seven, and eight. Don't be a professional student. Get out of here. Because no matter what your major is, you're going to have to go back to school and get two or three more years of education. There's almost no career where you can get four years and be done. Everything requires post-secondary education. Everything requires a master's degree. So that's number one. Stay focused. I still regret I never graduated with honors. I should have graduated from honors from Millersville University. When I was black student union president, I was a student senator, I started the revolution before I had any degrees. And I suffered because of it. Focus on your academics. The revolution is after college. The revolution is not in college. Number two, don't take no time off. Why do you take a time off? Well, I just spent four years. I need a break. You don't need no damn break. <laughs> Keep on going. Go while you broke. The best time to go to college is while you broke, because you know why you're there. But if you get you a job, and you get you a car, and you get you an apartment, <coughs> now you're going to start compromising your education for your lifestyle. And there's certain classes you need to take in the morning, but you can't take it because you got this car that you don't want to get back. And so you have to do extra hours on the job at the same time. The classes you need to graduate are being offered. Don't take no time off. I took time off. I went back after my first daughter was born. You know how tough it is to raise a child and go to college? That's hard. Don't make it tougher on yourself. Keep it easy. As soon as you're done Lehigh, go right into your master's program or your doctoral program. Take no time off. Number three, separate yourself from the pack. You want to be a social work major? Get your license. Going to be a psychologist? Go into neuroscience. Find out what are all of the special certs and licenses you can get in your area of study to separate you apart. Because if you got the same degree everybody else got, you're going to have to compete that much harder. But if you got the degree, but I have this concentration, but I have this license, but I have this certification, it separates you. So make sure you separate yourself. Next, start thinking about how you want to turn your education into an entrepreneurial investment. Because most of you are going to be entering a world where having the degree, even from a prestigious university like Lehigh, is not going to be enough to pay the bills. You have to flip it into a business. When I got tired of the school district of Philadelphia, I just quit. I said, I'm tired of coming to school every day with a line full of black boys who all y'all think can't learn how to read, when you know the only reason why they can't read is because they was never taught by your teachers. And I got tired of fighting every day to protect kids from special ed whose parents and teachers thought they had something wrong with their ability to learn. When the issue was poverty in poor schools in Philly, so I just quit and went independent. I didn't plan for it, but my name was big enough that I was able to still make a living working with the charter schools and doing trains and traveling, and my name preceded me, so I ended up okay. But I would recommend that for you. You got to plan your entrepreneurial opportunity. Some of the classmates you got, they're gonna be the ones that you get with to build your economic empire. Look at Facebook, they did it in college. Start talking to other folks while you're here. Start networking now, because some of these people are going to be your friends forever, and some of your friends are going to be your enemies, and some of your enemies are going to be your friends. Ladies, no babies. Focus on the bumps. <laughs> no boys will be there when you finish. 
You are not at Lehigh University to fall in love. You are here to get an education. Same thing with the young man. We don't need you dropping out to take care of a child at this time. You're here to get an education. Stay focused on the mission. I want to close with a quote before we take questions. And this quote comes from Frederick Douglass, my ancestor. My family came to an America in 1701, a black man by the name of Bell, stolen from Nigeria, according to the history. He was brought to Talbot County, Eastern Shore, Maryland. He married a black woman by the name of Selah, for whom my 10-year-old daughter is named. In 1745, they had Grandma Jenny. In 1774, Grandma Jenny gave birth to Grandma Bessie. Born into slavery, she married a free black man, my grandpa Isaac. Grandma Betsy and Grandpa Isaac had 12 children. One daughter was named Harriet, another daughter was named Betsy, my five times great-grandmother. These two sisters were by Aaron Anthony, the white man who owned my family, whose great-great-great-grandson I met a couple years ago when I was hosting one of my college tours, interestingly enough. So anyway, in February of 1818, Aunt Harriet, as a result, gives birth to the greatest black leader in American history. His name, Frederick Augustus Washington Bell. In 1838, at the age of 20, Frederick runs away, and he changes his name to hide his identity on the fugitive slave trade. So Frederick Bailey, my family name, becomes Frederick Douglass. The next year, in 1819, Harriet's little sister, young Betsy, my five times great-grandmother, gives birth to Frederick's half-brother and first cousin my four times great-grandfather, Stephen Henry Bell. If you've ever read, read Frederick Douglass's autobiographies, he talks about growing up on Tuckahoe Creek with Cousin Stephen. Cousin Stephen is Stephen Henry Bell, my four times great-grandfather. So Grandpa Stephen marries Grandma Caroline, who doesn't learn how to read and write until 1909, the year the NAACP is founded. And on November, November 14th of 1841, they give birth to my three times great-grandfather, George Washington Bailey, who goes on to become the first black public school teacher in Dayton, Maryland, hometown of Harriet Tubman's parents. And there's a little rumor that Harriet and Frederick might have been cousins, which is that Harriet Tubman, my cousin. That would be great. But anyway, <laughs> so grandpa, so the Civil War starts in 1861. Frederick Douglass doesn't fight in the Civil War, but he sends two of his sons, Lewis and Charles. Lewis and Charles go to Boston, Massachusetts, and they fight in the infamous 54th Massachusetts Colored Regiment. My grandfather Stephen and George fight in the United States Colored Troops of Maryland. My grandfather Stephen was in Houston, Texas, Galveston, Texas on June 19, 1865 when General Gordon Granger read Special Order Number 3, I believe it was, emancipating all remaining enslaved Africans in Texas, giving birth to a holiday known as Juneteenth. My grandfather was there. When the Civil War was over, Grandpa George marries Grandma Annie. Grandma Annie has Grandma Caroline. Grandma Caroline moved to Philadelphia. She has Grandma Vivian. Grandma Vivian marries a Spanish-speaking Cuban immigrant. Great-grandpa Cicero from Havana, Cuba. They have my grandmother, Ida Bailey. Johnson, who just passed away about two, three years ago, God rest her soul. She meets James Johnson, they have Jamal. Jamal meets Barbara in North Philadelphia, and on August the 21st, the anniversary of the Haitian Revolution. And August the 21st, the anniversary of the 
Jack Turner War. In August the 21st, the, the anniversary of George Jackson's war against San Quentin Prison, in August the 21st, one of the original birthdates of Jesus Christ. Because he was not born on the 25th. That's another conversation. I was born in North Philadelphia. Frederick Douglass said, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess the faith of freedom and deprecate agitation are like men who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain, but can't stand the thunder or the lightning. They want the ocean, but they're scared of the awful war of the water. He said, a man may not get all he paid for, but you will pay for all that you get. Frederick Douglass said, for 20 years, I prayed on my knees to God for freedom, but the good Lord gave Frederick no freedom till I got up off my knees and start praying with my feet. He said, if you want respect for white people, why do you look for pity? The man who pities you will never respect you. If the man who respects you has no need for pity. The most honorable Marcus Messiah Bobby, the greatest Pan-Africanist of all time, who gave us the red, black, and green flag, and the largest black organization in modern history said, without confidence in yourself, you are twice defeated in the race of life. Without confidence in yourself, you are twice defeated in the race of life. But with confidence, you have won even before you have started. Young men and women, I have indicted racism tonight. But you totally misunderstand my message if you think I will allow you to use racism as an excuse for why you don't make it in life. Frederick Douglass had to deal with racism. Harriet Tubman had to deal with racism. Sojourner Truth, Ida B. Wells, Fannie Lou Hamer, Stokely Carmichael, Dr. King, Malcolm Mega, Kwame Nkrumah, Patrice Lumumba, Nelson Mandela, Winnie Mandela, Amakai Cabral, Dean Kamafi, Kwame Ture, all of our great leaders had to deal with racism. It's no excuse to quit. I explain it to you so you can understand it and hopefully overcome and circumvent. Make no excuses. Because the same God that dwells in the soul of the white man dwells in the soul of the black man. And if we were great once before, we can be great again. Black power. Institution. 
but I didn't let that get me down. I used it to motivate. You see, and most of us, when we don't finish college, it's not because we can't do the work. It's because we don't have the discipline. It's the discipline. And I'm telling you right now, black or white, you better master self-discipline. And what is my definition? Dr. Umar's definition of discipline is the ability to do what you don't want to do when it has to be done, whether you like it or not. That is what makes a billionaire. That is what makes a millionaire. Study anybody great in the area. I don't care what race they are. What separated them from everyone else was the discipline. Did you know that most medical doctors were only average in undergrad? Most of them, surgeons included. So how did they end up at that level? Because they had the discipline to do it over and over again until they perfected it. God is discipline. The sun rises on time every day. So does the moon. You get a summer, spring, winter, fall every day. You get 365, well, in Africa, it was 364. The European paid 365 days in a year. But it's consistent. God is disciplined. And whether you make it or don't make it in this world, it's all going to come down to how much discipline you have. And nobody controls that. Not the white man or the black man, only yourself. Who's my number two? Yes, sir. Thank you, Dr. Great. Thank you. By building the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy, God willing, if all goes well, we'll be open for school next fall. The Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy will be America's most truly independent African-centered school for boys based on the principles of Pan-Africanism and international economics. The premise of our school is going to college should not be the sole focus of grade school education because college is putting African-Americans into long-term debt. There's over 2 million African-Americans in this country with masters and doctorate degrees who are unemployed. So telling young black people that going to college will be the saving grace for the rest of your life is misleading and dishonest. I want to teach our young men that if you want to go to college, you will be ready. But guess what? You can go into real estate. You can go into stock. You can go into entrepreneurship. There's a lot of different avenues available to you to get wealthy, take care of your family, and build from the liberation struggle because that's what it's mostly all about. So I want to make sure black boys understand there's more options to success than just going to college. And that's not to discourage none of you because you're here and you're going to finish because you've already took out too much loan money. So stay put and finish. Okay? Get out of here and don't stop getting your education until you're completely done. I don't want nobody to take no breaks. By the time you're 28, 30 years old, two questions. Where you going to buy your first house and who you going to marry? That should be the only thing you don't have to worry about. And you better take time with both of those, especially when you're going to marry. <laughs> Psychologically speaking, and this is for everybody in here, here all us to come. Psychologically speaking, what are the two greatest predictors of happiness? Two greatest predictors of happiness, black or white. Do you love what you do for a living? Do you love your career? Did you come to Lehigh because your parents made you? Or did you come to Lehigh because you wanted to be here? You wanted to be that teacher. You wanted to be that nurse. You wanted to be that psychologist. You gotta want it. Because I don't care how much money you make, if you don't like what you get up every morning and dedicate your life to, you will be miserable. So that's number one. Do you love what you're doing? I love what I do. Going around the country, raising the consciousness of black children, making white folks mad as hell. <laughs> I love my life. <laughs> And what's number two? After do you love your career? This is the most important part. 
All ladies, listen up. Do you love who you spend your life with? Your partner, your mate, your husband, your wife. And you better take your time to choose that. Because if you love your husband or wife, but hate your job, you want to stay home in the bed all day and never go to work. <laughs> if you love your career and hate your spouse, you're going to be working overtime every night and never going home. If you love your job and hate your spouse, you'll live an okay life. Love your spouse and hate your job, you'll live an okay life. But if you love your job and love your spouse, you will be amongst the happiest people in the world. But if you hate your job, and hate your spouse, you will be on my therapy couch. <laughs> Take your time and get it right.